Hello, hello, this is Buddy Weaver welcoming you to episode 342, featuring one of our true pioneers discussing the history of modern Western square dancing. You will hear parts of a presentation given in 1979 at the California State Square Dance Convention by Bob Osgood. At the time of this recording, Bob had been active as a pioneer in square dancing for over 32 years as a caller and teacher of modern Western square dancing, as publisher of the single largest square dance publication in history, and as an activist who successfully gained state and national recognition for modern Western square dancing. Thanks to Bob Osgood's hard work, we now have a national square dance convention, along with an international square dance callers association. Caller Lab in no small way owes much of its success to Bob Osgood, and has done so much to perpetuate our activity. As a side note, parts of this audio have picked up sounds from an adjacent room, but through our studio processing, most of it has been cleaned up and you can clearly hear and understand Bob Osgood. He picks up the topic of square dance history post-World War II, a time when square dancing had begun to move away from being part of a night of folk dancing, instead becoming a dance event of square dancing only a square dance that was evolving from the old memorized routines as previously discussed in this podcast series. Here now is Bob Osgood and the history of modern Western square dancing. Um, Happy Shaw, as he was called by his students, was an educator, Colorado Springs, Cheyenne Mountain School. He was the principal of a, uh, of a fairly small school district. And in this role, did a great deal to influence the type of education which was used by the young people. Uh, they took part in sports, but Shaw was not the one to figure that we should build heroes of this type in, in the school system. We should try and get everybody involved. And so they began researching the folk dances of America. They began looking uh, for the old notebooks that the callers carried in their hip pocket. Maybe some of them with only four or five calls, maybe some with a dozen or so. And from this collection, built a book which became the Bible for many who started square dancing in the 1930s called Cowboy Dances. That's the round book. This is it. And this, this book, with its pictures and its dresses and its diagrams and its music in the back, had a big part in encouraging people to get interested, but the big sales point was visual. These kids of his began forming an exhibition team known as the Cheyenne Mountain Dancers. Two squares traveled in the springtime to one of the coasts and two squares to the other coast at another time of year when it was a school uh, long. Uh, at these uh, shows they would put on in these major cities. Uh, They started out well, but as it grew, they got capacity audiences, and the people came and watched these kids dance the history of square dancing, showing the roots, and then showing the quadrilles, the contras, and eventually the western dance, which made everybody say, gosh, that looks like fun, I'd like to try it. Um, Through the war, this kind of went calm for a bit, and immediately following the war, uh, 
Shaw had so many demands that he decided he would put on a school for callers. And in 1947, 20 callers from California, along with 180 callers from all over the country, took part in this clinic in Cheyenne Mountain School. That probably, together with a couple of little things, was all that was needed to explode California into what became our big boom. Let's, let's look a little bit at what was happening at the time when California was about to enter into the boom period of the 1940s. Uh, in tracing back, there were two major types of dancing and two major types of calling. Uh, here is one that would be typical of the type of dancing that was being done on the East Coast. This man calling in Central Park, 6,000 dancers every Tuesday night. All paid for by Pepsi Cola. Who was he? Who? No. Some, some of you uh, may never have heard his name, but he lent a lot to the early history of square dancing. He died about ten years ago. Ed Durlacher. And... Uh, his style of calling would not be the type you would recognize today, except when you go back into some of the back areas in New York State and Massachusetts. You'll still find this old type of singing call prevalent. Uh, that was one style of calling and dancing that was being done in the 1940s that would have its impression on the big change. And here's another one. Twenty-five cents to the one who can guess this caller. Roy Rogers. Spade Cooley playing, and we recorded this in the 50s from the recollection of the kind of calling he did in the 30s and 40s. Roy Rogers. Just listen to his voice. You'll notice the style of dancing is what? A single visiting dance. Now, he does a do-si-do, -si -do, but he doesn't call it. Change your partner by the left hand round. Roy Rogers, 1940. Oh, one other thing. Music changed as time went on, and the change of music probably reflected the age of the people who had danced maybe with no new people coming in. The older they got, the slower they went. And this record is recorded about 114 metronomes. We like to think 128 or 130 is typical for us around here. 
We went through a stage where we went 148 and 150 metronome beats. This is about 114. Well, this was fine for the old people who could just kind of slug along. Costumes. Uh, 1940, some of the first groups that we had look in the Shaw book, and they'd go down to Sears and Roebuck and buy a house coat straight down, zipper down the back, and this would be their interpretation of a square dance dress. Slowly, the square dance costume would change with the use of skirt work. Do we do skirt work anymore? At all anymore? But the skirt work began to build this thing. So the costumes became a very big part. Particularly, I won't say particularly the ladies, I think the costume made more effect on the men. Costume became the thing that was different. It allowed him to be an individual with a bright shirt. And in those first days when we're talking of the mid-1940s, um, the western shirt would be gabardine with a leather top with lots of fringe and uh, maybe wild trousers and the real boot. And the idea is that if you own 50 head of cattle, you tuck one trouser leg into the boot. And if you owned over 500 head, you tuck both trouser legs into your boot. At that time, there, in addition to the styling differences, we had differences in interpretation. For instance, in Henry Ford's dancing, the square was numbered one, three, two, four so that one and two were across from each other. And two and four, I mean, three and four would be the side couples. And they said that Ford had this done to correspond with the firing order of the Model T. <laughs> In Chicago, I think the first time I ever hit there was 46, and it was quite an alarm to see uh, no, no caller, and they had, I'd guess, about 10 squares, and I discovered that the number one couple was where number three is for us. And the purpose, I discovered, was so that he could watch the fiddle player who would give a signal. And that's the start. And he'd give a signal or a musical indicator. And this was, we're drawing close to the end, pull it to a close. So as they would start, ten squares, ten callers, ten dances, all at one time. The old Bosley Ballroom down on Hill... 8th or 9th and Hill, during the war, I remember going down there and seeing the dances, a caller in every square. They would be not quite as Western, more quadrille. And I remember down the Western nights on the pier in Santa Monica, a caller in every square, the band, a Western band, playing a hoedown, number one man, it wouldn't be facing the deal, it would be where we have them here, but being the caller, a hundred squares, a hundred dances going on at once. Pure bedlam. What were we doing with for music? Here's a record made in 1947. This was classic square dance music. There were about six orchestras, and we all fought for them. And they didn't get very much money, about 7 to $10 a, a player. This was hot square dance music, 1946-47. player, Frank Harper probably was in his 70s then. I doubt if any of those people are still around, as Ray Shaw, Carl Miles, many of the callers are no longer. 
But the effects of World War One or World War Two were to bring a community uh, of people into areas, new housing, which really set a scene for dancing. Um, we have recollections of calls that were being done before the big boom. Does anybody remember a call like, roll the barrel, tap the keg, save the oyster, break the egg, open the book, write the check, turn inside out, go on to the next? It's quite a challenge particularly if you've never been in the learning session. Or duck in the hole with an old barrel roll, make a hoop with a backward loop, roll the barrel down the hill, duck right out, swing the opposite jill. Call that to a group today and you'll throw the floor. <laughs> Our round dances, as we began, consisted of free dances like the shottish, of course the waltz and the polka. Things like the cotton eye jill and the rye waltz were a pattern but also done with variations that made them free dances. That means that a whole floor was dancing, you danced what you wanted to do within the framework of that particular type of dance. The transition came in the 19, late 1940s in round dancing, and we began to do such rounds that were written for us as Waltz of the Bells, um, Beautiful Ohio, Buzz Glass, Happy Polka, Never before, and I imagine never since, has any record sold as many. Somebody said 40,000 or more copies of Happy Polka. Then the trend, using music that was sensational and available, dances written, such things as Down the Drain, Down the Lane, uh, Hot Lips, Mockingbird Hill. Um, our first records were part of the salvation for the activity because with only a few orchestras, the number of callers who wanted to call would be restricted to either an orchestra or what poor music was available. And so music became a recorded specialty. And within the first few years, say in the early 1950s, there were 12 companies, 12 different labels, along with some of the big names like Capital and Decca, these others were specialists just in square dance music. By 1948, we had seven lessons in a beginner class where prior to that you could learn as you went. Daily Mirror, which was in existence then, ran the equivalent of a comic strip, only it wasn't comics, it was square dance photographs on how to square dance, complete pictorial lessons. All the newspapers were filled. In 1948, the first series of television uh, weekly programs was aired. And we had classes, for instance, Arnie and I have two adjacent gyms at Beverly Hills High School, and this is just typical of the area. At 6 o'clock, the people lined up for a class that would start at 8. The class was filled by a quarter to 7, 25 squares in each of the two halls side by side. This is the way it went. Our first roundups. I remember the first A square D roundup and probably the first Westerns. First A Squirties was in Venice, and uh, we had that fantastic music we played a while back, and we had about 12 callers calling that particular show. We had uh, another one two or three months later at the Pan Pacific Auditorium, which was a sellout. And again, newspapers, television, and everything else were completely amazed at what was happening to America and American people that they would get out in these 
costumes and square dance together and looked like they enjoyed it. There was something that started in those first days, and perhaps we owe it to Carl Miles, to Ray Shaw, perhaps to our other leaders, perhaps to Pappy, because they all believed in it. There were four unwritten things which we call traps that have just always been understood. They were understood to have been problems with square dancing in the early days. Pre-war, there used to be contests in America, contests fiddle-wise and contests caller and dancer-wise. Uh, we remember one in uh, the panhandle of Texas where squares came from all over. And finally, it came down to two teams, one from Laramie, Wyoming, and one from Texas, dancing in the final. And finally, the Texas team won. And the group from Wyoming zoomed up to them and said, congratulations, we'd like to change partners with you for the next tip. And the caller said, we can't do that. We dance the only thing we know in our exhibition. Um, exhibitions and contests in those days ruined many clubs. A person got the idea to be an exhibitionist. He had to be he had to be the very best. And we have always thought that everyone is a winner in square dancing and there's no losers. Australia, when it started, tried contests. And they had over 100,000 people dancing in just weeks. And one year later, nobody danced. And it was all because of the, the way it was built on contests. So contests have been on the, the list of watch out for us. And another thing, one of the reasons in tracing back that we lost the dignity of the square dance was the surroundings that attached to it, the old jug on the floor idea. And so it became a rule among the callers and dancers themselves that square dancing and liquor don't mix, and that became number two. The costume, to mark us as something special and to be our badge of the activity, the costume was something special and not just a bunch of slack suits or a, a bunch of, of street dresses, but something special when we dance. And the last was selfish exploitation, where one person could hurt the activity for others, or one group could do something to spoil it for the others. Exploitation of the right type, fine, but exploitation selfishly to corral a whole activity or a big segment for themselves. This in the early days was frowned on and sort of lasted as our heritage of our beginnings. Um, there are so many things that we could talk about in California. The growth, perhaps out of our Diamond Jubilee where association presidents for all, from all over California came and gathered and then kept gathering to form what we today know perhaps as the Council of Associations here in California. Um, we, again, in skipping, know that two things were responsible for square dancing, very much responsible, both here in California and throughout the world. One was the motor car, so that we could get to the dances further than you might travel on horseback, and the other, the PA system, without which we couldn't have existed. So today uh, we have, what, in the country, 318 dancer associations, 151 caller associations, 32 round dancer associations, 
159 area publications and 30 or more record companies producing. The activity is huge and it still grows. We have national conventions, state conventions, but we still have the most important thing of all. The caller is that element that stands between two of the most important parts of our activity, the two parts, the dancer and the dance. The caller is a privileged guy who is lucky enough to have an ability to bring the two, the dancer and the dance, together. We can't do without any of them. And we've learned in California through the years that this must be a cooperative activity. We've grown when we think of 900 dances being shoved on the people by a guy named Playford 200 or more years ago. Perhaps some of us grown when we have over 2,000 calls in a, a, an encyclopedia. We wonder where the time might be that we can learn all these things. We do have a group called Legacy that is trying to work a lot of this out. A group that's a complete story in itself. We have a group mentioned here earlier called Caller Lab, which is an invitational start to what we hope will include callers all from all over the world that met in May with callers from Australia, New Zealand, United States and Canada present. We've got a lot of things going for us. California used to be the leader in the activity. And there are many things that we're doing today that still put us in the eyes of great respect and leadership. Many of our people are, are respected for what they have to say and what they've done. And this is perhaps a launching time for us. Um, as long as we can communicate, as long as we can work together, we've got so much to anticipate. As we prepare to close today's podcast, we will hear a studio recording of Bob Osgood himself calling the routine Texas star. Let me take a moment to say thank you for joining us today and invite you back next week. Please send your emails to buddy at buddyweaver.com. I would love to hear from you. Here now to close the episode is Bob Osgood. Now bow to your partner. Now bow to your corner. Let the girls to the center and back to the bar. Gents to the center with a right-hand star. Now back by the left and not too far. Skip your girl and pick up the next. Let the girls go in, the gents go out. You turn your Texas star about. Let the gents go in, the girls back out. You turn your Texas star about. Now break in the center and everybody's swinging a whirl. Now promenade that part of the little girl and you get right around you don't be slow. Go all the way to home you go. Now the girls to the center and back to the bar. Now the gents to the center with a right hand star say how to do. Now back by the left and how are you? Now skip that girl and pick up the next. Now the girls go in, the gents back out. You turn your Texas star about. Now the gents go in and the girls back out. Now the girls go in with a full turn around like a jaybird walking on a frozen ground. Go all the way and it don't fall down. Now the gents go in with a full turn around like a scared old rabbit chased by a hound. Now break in the center and everybody's swinging a whirl. Now promenade, go single file with the lady in the lead. It's Indian style and swing with the girl behind you. Now put her on your right and make a ring. Now circle to the left with a dear little thing. And break that ring with a corner swing. 
Now a man left, go left, tell a man in the right, your honey, go hand over hand in the right, left, ring, go round the ring and meet your honey, now meet your maid, meet that girl, now promenade and promenade, go to before, get right home to the old back door and bow to your partner, now bow to your corner, now bow to the girl across that hall and kino boys and that is all.